Rolling. Renegades. Andre and I had this big idea. Why isn't this a CE? CE by podcast. Mind blowing. People don't even know people like her exist. Renegades. I had to have the people who didn't believe in me. Between one day and the next, everything changed. Somebody found you. Thank God they found you. Shining a light on those people. And by the way, you're going to be inspired. You can't contain this, Sybil. You can't contain it. Nurses know how to solve shit. Nailed it. Renegades. Welcome to the Renegade Podcast, a revolutionary approach to continuing education for nurses by nurses who are shining a light on the innovators, the creatives, the renegades who are blowing up the boxes that the rest of the world is still trying to think outside of. On today's podcast, we have Nicole Noner. Nicole is an occupational therapist, certified lymphedema therapist, certified fall prevention specialist, and owner of hand-in-hand home rehab. Nicole is going to refresh our memory about what the heck occupational therapists do, not just what we are slightly aware of in the hospital, but what they do outside the hospital and how they prevent people from getting readmitted to hospitals when it's done correctly, which is also part of the story here because when Nicole saw all the gaps in care and the delay of occupational therapy treatment, how it was leading to readmission, she decided to spit herself out of the system and start her own gig and do it the way she thought was right. I know any nurse is going to not only learn more about the role of occupational therapy, but also be inspired by somebody who sees a problem and creates their own solution. Don't forget, if you're a nurse listening to this and want a CE credit afterward, you can head over to renegade.pro, that's R-N-E-G-A-D-E dot pro, sign up and get your CE. Enjoy Nicole Nooner. We'd like to just dive into the deep end of the pool, Nicole. Um, Sure. So Andre gave me a little bit about what you do. Obviously, Mm -hmm. you're unique in the fact that, I mean, just from her telling me what you do and, and, you know, you're unique in the fact that mm-hmm. you're, you're so young and you're, you're like the fact that you started your own business tells me, you know, the stuff that I make up in my head is like, okay, she was disillusioned with something and said, screw this. I can do it better. <laughs> so, I mean, cause that's a big leap, but so tell, mm-hmm. tell us about some some event or something that happened to you in your life, personally or professionally, because it mm-hmm. all goes hand in hand, that made mm-hmm. everything different from one day to the next or made you go, yeah, I'm doing this. Yep. Yeah. Um, I So I've worked in a lot of different settings. I've worked in um, inpatient mental health. I've worked in school systems. Uh, acute care, hospital setting, and then most of my time has been spent in home health. So I've seen bits and pieces of the whole healthcare continuum. And I, I think it was the combination of working in acute care, 
and home health that I saw this huge lack of um, communication in the healthcare system and this repetitive, this cycle uh, that patients would, would, I would see them in the hospital and then we'd see them in home health and then guess what? Two months later, they'd be back at the hospital and be back in home health and like something was missing and uh, it was extremely frustrating and I couldn't put my finger on it, but I knew something had to change. You know, I think a big part of it was this, um, this gap, you know, of, okay, so what happens after home health? They, they leave the hospital, they get home, home health sees them. Uh, and then, and then what we discharge them after they're not homebound anymore. So something was happening and I knew that there needed to be, someone needed to fill that gap. Can you, uh, Nicole, can yeah. you give us an example of what that looked like and where your frustration was at what point in time in that continuum? I'd just be, I'd just be curious. And really quickly yeah. before that, tell everybody what you do. Like, what is an OT? Oh, sure. Yeah. Hello, my name is Nicole Noner. <laughs> well, I thought there. that that would just come out of when she... <laughs> Well, well, let, because, me ba- let me back up a little bit. Well, I don't want her to do this whole like example and then be like, wait, what, wait, what are you doing? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fine. Have it yes. your way. Yes. I'm an occupational therapist. So, um, and extraordinaire. Uh, extraordinaire. Yes. <laughs> I, um, I have a certification in fall prevention and I'm a lymphedema specialist. And, uh, Andre, you asked for an example and falls is a, you know, the number one example. Uh, I mean, it's a huge problem. Um, you know, financially it's a huge burden and also for the patient. I mean, just the numbers of people who fall every day, I think the statistics are like one in four adults over the age of 65 will have a fall and, 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 and I think it's one in five of those will be a, a serious fall resulting in something like a hip fracture or head trauma. So, I mean, that's, that's a pretty serious thing. And, um, and so that is, like I said, one of the, the biggest issues I was seeing is people falling, going into the hospital, coming home, uh, and we'd see them for, let's say, a hip fracture. And we do our rehab and yeah, they'd they're not home ho- homebound anymore. Yay. Uh, and then something would happen and they fall again, or maybe they would go back in the hospital this time for um, their diabetes would be out of control or their heart failure. And I think as an occupational therapist, I, you know, we're trained to look at kind of a bigger picture and, you know, occupation, Um, everybody thinks that means job, but really the root of the, of the practice comes from what occupies your time. And uh, so, you know, we approach a patient and looking at their activities and what engages them in their day-to-day life. And, um, you know, we're so often focused on the, the diagnosis of, you know, fall, diabetes, heart failure, but when we can take a step back and look at that person and all of their, you know, their intrinsic factors, everything from vision, cognition, 
their, maybe their cultural habits, um, their routines, uh, and then their social, like who's living with them, uh, who's a part, an important part of their life. And then also their environment. Uh, where are they walking in their house? Do they have stairs? Do they have dogs? You know, you need this 3D picture in order to really help someone, you know. So mm-hmm. falls, let's use the example of falls. Um, you can't treat a fall. You have to treat the person and the house and their routines in order to help them. And that is not really possible in the hospital setting and in home health, that was a start. I, I love that. But again, once they're considered not homebound, there's there's still ha- there's a still so much work to be done in order to change those habits and change their environment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, since Antra, I mean, insisted on people knowing who you are and what you do before you get started, <laughs> um, I'm going to. Hope that the audience can trust me to bring them back to this point because why did you want to do that? Mm, okay, so backing up, backing up. Um, so I went to school at Gonzaga University and I got my bachelor's in exercise science. And I had a class there that was called Exercise Science for Special Populations. And it was amazing. And the, the professor... Um, was she was an occupational therapist and uh, she was a coach for the junior Paralympic team in Spokane, Washington. Mm. So as part of the class, we got to volunteer with the team and travel with the team. And she used again, that OT perspective of, of working with the whole person and, and their, you know, what occupies their time. And for a kid that a lot of times that's, that's sports. So when we would travel, we not only were working on their sports, but hey, if you want to get on the bus, you've got to learn how to get up stairs without using your legs. Or you are with all your friends and you're going to have to learn how to stay continent because it's not cool, you know, anymore to, you know, use a, a, a brief. So yeah, anymore. It used used to be like the in vogue thing to just piss yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Turns out. (laughs) So, so, I mean, we were learning all those things and, you know, how to, uh, how to cough if you have a spinal cord injury, you know, so all of these things that went into just traveling. Um, and I, I love that. And so after that course, I was like, yeah, that's, that's what I want to do. I don't want to focus on an elbow for the rest of my life and how to rehab an elbow. I want to, I want to look at the whole person and what makes them tick and how to yeah. help them do those. Andrea, things. Isn't it cool? When I asked her, she knew she went exactly, you know, oh. it was this class. Mm-hmm. It was this person. Mm-hmm. It was this yeah. thing. It was, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I love, I love that because it's not, you didn't go, I didn't know what to do. So I just went into occupational therapy. You know, it's like, I want to yeah. do this. Yeah. And I never yeah. knew that story. I mean, that's an amazing story. What, so was that, mm-hmm. um, but was exercise science, like go back even farther? Like, mm-hmm. you know, what, what brought you to that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I like, um, I really view exercise as, as medicine and, um, and, and a way to, um, uh, to improve function. So, 
uh, you know, I, I like to exercise, but I'm not, you know, personally, I'm not, I don't like, I, I don't love to exercise. I do it <laughs> as a ways to, uh, to do the things I want to do. And, and, um, you know, I think looking at the broader scope, that's what, you know, exercise is about is, is keeping people functional and healthy. And, you know, we know that there's all these standards and what we should be doing. And so I think if we can view it as, instead of taking a pill to treat X, Y, Z, Hey, this is also medicine and, and, um, movement can, and functional movement can, can help treat so many things. So I think that's why I went into exercise science to begin with is, is, you know, was that, was that something that just, was just a common sense, no brainer thing. You said, I see exercise Mm -hmm. as a way to improve function, but that was there something that happened in your life that made that obvious to you? Like something that you, that you observed or saw, or was it just like a common sense thing? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, in college, I mean, really it was one of the only things that uh, I was really drawn to that wasn't pre-med or biology. I really like focusing on, on humans and, um, and movement, you know, it just so happens that exercise science was what led me there. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and then, mm-hmm. and then to me, like the next leap from exercise mm-hmm. science is physical therapy, not oh, mm-hmm. occupational therapy. So I guess maybe your experience in that mm-hmm. class, because would that have been the mm-hmm. next step for you had you not been in that class? A, a lot of people that in uh, my program went to physical therapy school or became um, personal trainers. And I just felt, you know, I love my PT colleagues and as, as I've, you know, grown and developed in my practice, I, I can learn, I've learned, um, and same with nurses and SLPs, but how we can work as a team. Um, but at that time, especially, I, I really saw PT as kind of me, to, to me, it was more limited to a very biomechanical approach. And I liked kind of the, the art and the science that OT provides. Hmm. I love that. Okay. So should we go back to where we took the pin in? And do you want to, do you want to ask more about that with the pin? I put a pin in the. Well, well, I mean, well, the pin was, the pin was in, in, um, the, the gap that she was observing. Oh yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's, let's go back to that because you actually work and I don't know if you still do, but at Meridian Park Hospital, Mm -hmm. which is a hospital Mm -hmm. that I worked at for many years. So is Mm -hmm. that like, take us to that after you got out of college, mm-hmm. kind of tell us about how you, you know, started occupational mm-hmm. therapy, how you ended up at Meridian Park, and then you mm-hmm. can, you know, jump into what you saw with the gap. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So, um, okay, so I graduated college. I actually worked at um, an inpatient psychiatric facility and uh, for adults, and I also worked on the forensic side and, um, which was incredibly interesting. And it, Forensic I, side I, of what? I love that of, um, the psychiatric. So people who committed crimes who then were found to, um, have, you know, psychiatric, um, issues that, um, were, you know, present when they committed the crime. So they were, instead of going to prison, they were held at this psychiatric facility. So uh, again, there as an OT, we focused on, you know, their activities. So we led uh, horticulture programs where they kind of relearn skills on how to, you know, take care of plants and then uh, self-care programs, like how to 
take care of your body and basic hygiene and things like that. Um, so that was incredibly interesting. I love that. Um, and then I did a total 180 and I worked in the school district in Hawaii. Um, so again, very different <laughs> population, uh, doing a very different thing. Um, so, you know, but again, as an OT, it all goes back to like their occupations. What do they need to do? Well, for kids in the schools, it was, they need to sit at a desk. They need to be able to hold their pencils and cut and pay attention. So what are all the skills that they need to have to do that? So then moved to Portland, um, worked in home health and skilled nursing facilities. I loved working in those environments, but I, I wanted to get some experience in a hospital because I, I hadn't done that. And so I was kind of hoping like I was seeing people uh, post-acute and I wanted to see people kind of at that very acute stage and see, okay, what's, what's going on here? <laughs> what does it look like in a hospital? And, and um, I think part of the reason why I wanted to do that is I was seeing um, discharges to home health that were, in my eyes at that time, maybe felt inappropriate either, hey, why didn't this person go to a skilled nursing facility or they discharged way too early in my mind or, uh, or why are they here again? Uh, um, so I wanted to back up and see, be part of the conversation of, of really the discharge planning and, and maybe see if I could help people at the hospital have a different conversation of, of how they can start that rehab and recovery process that didn't put them in a, a, a state of crisis when they got home. Does that so kind of make sense? Yeah. So talk about um, prevention mm-hmm. of further breakdown. I just heard a couple mm-hmm. things there. So when you mm-hmm. see them in the acute phase, you can ask, mm-hmm. I know this is, this is interesting to me because I've yeah. never even thought about this part of mm-hmm. occupational therapy, but if you could see mm-hmm. them in the acute phase, you can see what can be done here to prevent, like, even if you have somebody in an intensive care unit on a ventilator, you know, what could be done here that mm-hmm. prevents further breakdown and for, you know, uh, mm-hmm. or, you know, so in an ICU, what, what is, mm-hmm. um, where are they lacking any kind of movement or whatever that is going to be more to make up for later? So you could jump in there. And then when totally. they're discharging, mm-hmm. getting that right, where they go. Mm-hmm. Because if they go to the wrong place, if they go to just a home health instead of a skilled nursing facility, mm-hmm. they're going to continue to break down and lose skills mm-hmm. and strength and coordination and all that mm-hmm. at the place they're supposed to be recovering and rehabilitating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I'd never even thought about that. I'll start with the acute care and ICU, and especially the ICU, I find is really important to, to, uh, to stop that breakdown. Because, uh, and especially now in the era of COVID, people are isolated and um, humans are, we're meant to do things, you know, we want to do things, we want to be engaged, we want to be stimulated. And if we're not doing that, then our, our brains and our bodies will start to, to literally break down. And, and I mean, and that's delirium, uh, you know, we see that all the time. And, and then also, you know, muscle wasting. And, and obviously there's, uh, you know, certain times when we cannot um, physically move someone, but, um, but even just keeping their brain engaged, whether that's um, 
you know, a podcast. They could listen to your podcast while while they're laying while they're laying in bed, or you know, the activity carts. And um, again, right now it's so hard with COVID because you can't share things and you can't, you know, the volunteers aren't coming around. But um, as an OT, you know, um, thinking about, you know, I I saw someone recently in the COVID unit, and it was the first time that he'd brushed his teeth and it was exhausting for him. And it was very difficult, but I mean, that's part of someone's daily routine and, um, and, you know, part, part of working on a team, you know, the, the nurses, it's not that they didn't see that or recognize that, but you know, right now everybody's short, so short staff, we have to work as a team. And while they're managing the meds and making sure that they're stable, we can work as a team to say, Hey, this person as a person who needs to do things and in order to prevent delirium, prevent muscle wasting, we got to get them doing things that they would normally do in their life. And that can start with washing their face and brushing in their teeth. Um, and so even those simple, simple things can, I think, prevent a lot of problems down the line. So I think that's where it could start in ICU or, or even on, you know, the, regular med surge floor. Um, and what was the other question? Uh, well, oh, getting, getting the discharge right, going to the right place so yeah. that they're not further breaking down in the place that they're supposed to be re- yes. rehabilitating. Well, and discharge yeah. okay. too is so tricky. Mm-hmm. It's just so tricky anyways, because mm-hmm. you know, what's getting communicated, what is the patient hearing? Mm-hmm. What is the family hearing? So, you know, when mm-hmm. your, when your part comes in, like, it just seems like mm-hmm. there's a lot and how, yeah. How do you get that right? Mm-hmm. Oh God. I, I, so it really, take a breath. So hard. And. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Um, I think it's, it, it takes a lot of communication between the, the team, making sure all the team members are on the same page and what you're hearing. Cause like you said, Antra, uh, maybe, um, you know, one family member is coming in and saying, oh, you know, dad is really not doing well. I'm worried about him. But then the wife comes in and says, oh, everything's fine. Don't worry. He takes his own meds. And then you mm-hmm. talk to the daughter and you talk to the. So it's kind of putting this this picture together and, and really understanding what's going on. And and I think that's where having all of the team members have a, a, a role and having that good coordination is key because. Um, you know, physical therapy, they're going to look at, well, you know, this person has 18 stairs in their house and uh, no rail. So, you know, having a really good interview process is important and making sure that they can physically do that. And then OT might be, you might look at the cognition and say, hey, this person is not safe to take their medications. They're not able to you know, read a label because of their vision, they're not able to follow, you know, uh, two-step commands. So yeah, they're gonna, he's not safe to do his own medications. Um, and then, you know, also taking care of themselves. I think that really, uh, gets overlooked when we look at, um, discharge placement. And it, and I always say the devil's in the details because, um, you know, going to the bathroom on the commode is a lot different than going to the bathroom uh, in someone's house. 
you know, a pivot, <laughs> stand pivot transfer when you're wearing a hospital gown is a lot easier than walking into the bathroom. Oh, oh, there's my dog toy and that, you know, power cord that I, I just have to put my walker over and, <laughs> and then, you know, they have three layers and they're, they're, they're cool briefs that they're wearing and they have to manage all that. And so kind of looking at the complexity of not just what's happening in the hospital, um, but what that's going to look like at home. Well, and and, I think that's the shortcoming, mm-hmm. uh, shortcoming mm-hmm. of nursing in the hospital, right? Because mm-hmm. once, once we've got you discharged, you're out of sight, out of mind. And not that, you know, yeah. but that's, that's the truth of the matter. Right. And even with mm-hmm. home health, right. Like you said, as, as, mm-hmm. as long as they've been discharged home, you know, not homebound anymore. See ya. You know, so yeah. it does seem like a, like you said, there's a real gap. I only heard about OT occasionally. I don't really ever in, not that I would mm-hmm. in the operating room, but it just didn't seem like, it didn't seem like there were, that was a robust part of the hospital program. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Yeah. And I can't tell you, um, you know, going back to the devils and the details, I can't tell you how many people <laughs> I've talked to that got stuck that would tell me I got stuck on the toilet after my knee replacement. And I'm like, what? How is that happening? (laughs) That's exactly what I mean. No nurse on a floor is going to be like, you know what? I wonder if this is going to be a problem. (laughs) So I imagine, so I imagine it's things like that, that make, made you see the gap. So stuck on the toilet, needing a knee replacement, but they try anyway and they fall and then they're back in a hospital. And yep, you saw yep. stuff like that over mm-hmm. and over again, I imagine, which made you do what? <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. And just people in crisis, even if they didn't get back in the hospital, it changes their whole experience of of getting a knee replacement or, you know, ha- you know, whatever it is. It's, it's this crisis mode where instead it could be this, you know, it still sucks to have to recover and, and do the hard work that it takes to um, you know, holistically heal, but, uh, but it could go a lot smoother if there is maybe a little preparation and the right team members in place and, and, and know, knowing your resources, I think. Yeah, that's huge. So is that part of what you do too, is, is the resources piece? Yeah, I, I think, I think with the business, I, 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 that has been something that I've really, um, have tried to incorporate is knowing, um, knowing the community resources and who is doing what, and, um, you know, onto learning about what you and Sierra do. That was huge because again, that was something I'm like, how is no one doing this? This is such a need. You know, these people need a, a voice and help expressing themselves and advocating. And, um, so I'm so glad that I met you and Sierra and, and that's incredible. And, and, and people like, um, you know, Peter, who is helping connecting people to the right living environments. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, that's, I think, so invaluable to, to, to really, uh, yeah, learn, learn more about what's going on in the community. Go back to, you were seeing all these, I think there was a big chunk in the middle that I'm missing because you said the mm-hmm. business side of it, but you saw this going on in mm-hmm. the hospital. You saw them coming, mm-hmm. you know, being discharged and then mm-hmm. coming back and you were curious about the gaps. And isn't that part of like what makes you, you like you did something about it. You're like, this isn't working. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, so I started a business, the simplest route, right? <laughs> <laughs> I 
Um, it is. It yeah. was for us, <laughs> or at least the simplest answer. It's not the simplest right? route, but yeah, it's, it's not like, the simplest route, but it was the simplest answer. Yeah, it's like okay, well, no one that I know is doing anything like this, so I'm going to do it. I mean, what, what like is, this? When you say like this, mm-hmm. like what? No one I know is doing anything like this. Well, and mm-hmm. I didn't even know that there was such a thing. And are you like a trailblazer, mm-hmm. like the first one ever to do something like this? Yeah. So no. Tell me what this is. So my, so, <laughs> yeah. So this. <laughs> so it's um, so I'm a mobile outpatient practice, which meaning which means I don't have a brick and mortar location. I can bill insurance, and it's it's billed through Medicare Part B, um, which is different than the hospital and home health. So it's you know, there's some nitty gritty insurance things, but usually when you think of outpatient, you think of um, a clinic space. And uh, at least in Portland, um, there's one other PT practice that does house call, that makes house calls. And, um, and as far as I know, I'm the only OT who is doing that right now. So, um, Yeah. So that's, that's what this is. (laughs) A mobile outpatient occupational therapy Mm -hmm. practice. Tell us the name of your business. It's called hand in hand home rehab. Okay. So tell us, so tell us about how it was to start a business. I mean, for nurses, this is huge Mm -hmm. anyways, because you're young Mm -hmm. and you're, you know, and you, you Mm -hmm. took that leap. So tell us what that Mm -hmm. experience was like. And then if you can share with us, you know, what, what does your business, what does it look like when you're out in the field doing occupational therapy? Sure. Yeah. So luckily there's a lot of Facebook groups. You know, I, I, I don't use Facebook very much for social, uh, you know, social connections, but I use it a lot for um, my professional connections. So I got a lot of information on Facebook and this is a model that is being used other places in the country, just not really in this region for whatever reason. So, uh, so I got the information about, you know, all of the steps and it was a little laborious at first. I mean, as you know, it's anyone starting a business, um, but it does get a little, it was a little complicated and tricky to get um, credentialed and have contracts with Medicare and Medicaid and um, all of that. And, you know, just a, a side note, one of the reasons why I felt like it was really important to do that is, is work with insurances. I felt um, this need to have uh, these services be equitable. And um, that was another drive of wanting to do a home-based practice is, you know, only certain people can access an outpatient practice. Not everyone has a car and a daughter who can drive them or pay for a caregiver or can't maybe walk the two blocks to the nearest bus stop. So I wanted that. I wanted the, the services to be able to reach all people, not just the people who can afford it. Because right. um, obviously cash-based practice is a huge, is a huge um, kind of growing practice um, or area, but, um, and maybe someday, but right now I really wanted to be able to serve all people. Okay. So backing up, um, what was my train of thought? We were talking about starting a business. Yeah. And all the steps. So it credentialing, 
Uh, yeah, it was a pain in the butt. But <laughs> it happened that I started my practice February 2020. So I had oh. a good chunk of time <laughs> when I could really work on that before I actually started seeing patients. Um, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I think we met you kind of right when you were doing right when you were getting started, huh? Yep, yep, yeah, yeah probably because you know it was good. I felt like it gave me the chance to start making those connections in the community when I couldn't really be out and seeing patients, I could be talking to people and figuring out mm-hmm. what's going on, where are the needs, what do I want this to look like? Right. Okay. Yeah. So now tell me, tell us how it's, how it's going. Like, tell us what you Ooh. do. What's it look like? Yeah. yeah. What's it look like? Yeah. Oh man. It's, it's going good. It's um, it's really, it, I don't know. It's exciting because I feel like now that I've, you know, I'm a little over a year in and um, I, I, I'm more confident and I see all the opportunities within our community. Uh, you know, I, I seriously have business ideas every day. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Somebody, needs to do this. somebody needs to do this. And it's a little <laughs> overwhelming. <laughs> Slow down. Um, but it's good, you know, um, so I, I got my certification in lymphedema, so I'm doing a lot of that, which is great. Um, so um, tell us about that. Because- well, I, who calls you? Like, how do you get gigs? Like, yeah, do, are um, you on the list at hospitals? And home? like, how do you? Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I have a, a couple of uh, geriatricians. That's actually one of the biggest uh, referral sources is geriatricians because you know, and that's actually the, the prime, uh, it's such a great place to start because they're seeing their patients before they fall or maybe after, but you know, they're kind of in that prime window of, okay, so-and-so is declining. I can tell something's going on. Let's get someone into the house and check it out, you know, see it firsthand. Yeah. So, um, so that's, uh, one area. Um, and then really, and the same thing from ger- uh, geriatrician is, Anytime someone has swelling um, that, gosh, I just can't get rid of it. My feet are always swollen. I can't finish my shoes anymore. I'll get referrals for that. Which um, I, I imagine, and Antra mm-hmm. was about to ask you, like the mm-hmm. certification in lymphedema really mm-hmm. makes you a standout in what you do. Huh? Mm-hmm. Well, I, what mm-hmm. I was going to say was um, mm-hmm. we interviewed this nurse who who um, was very um, inspired by an incident in her own life with her father and she calls it the orphan disease because um, nobody talks about it. And quite frankly, mm-hmm. like even for an OR nurse, you would think I would know about lymphedema, but no. So I think that's just a um, huge service if you're going in mm-hmm. there and addressing those those issues. Mm-hmm. Can you address, because that seems like a gap, right? It's like, a wickedly um, needed niche. <laughs> yeah, you have a surgery and nobody really talks mm-hmm. about lymphedema and then they send you home mm-hmm. on discharge and then there's swelling or whatever and you're like, what the heck's mm-hmm. going on? So can you talk about kind of what that looks like? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you know, again, think, talking about the, the genesis of my company and what inspired me, that was another area where every, every I mean, I would say 80% of my older patients had some sort of lower extremity edema that wasn't being managed. And I was so frustrated that I didn't know what to do it and nobody seemed to know what to do with it. So we just left it and it's no wonder their wounds weren't healing. And, you right. know, and that's crazy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I so that's why I was finally like, okay, I, I guess 
I guess I have to get certified and do this. <laughs> Take us through somebody who has lymphedema, mm-hmm. who's a little bit older, who maybe has like, I don't mm-hmm. know, just one of your kind of typical yeah. and, and t- take us from the front door, what you do while you're there, mm-hmm. how you follow up. Do you chart? Like just tell. Yeah. I'm just, yeah. And I'm something that was <clears throat> some, some win that was really satisfying for you to, you yeah. know, those things that reinforce, okay. this is why I do what I do. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So actually right now I'm seeing a lady who has um, had several different types of cancer. Um, She had uh, breast cancer and a mastectomy with lymph node removal. She had um, uterine cancer with um, hysterectomy and lymph node removal. And, um, and I mean, that was maybe, I think, 20 to 30 years ago and she's had lymphedema since and it hasn't been well managed since then so she went to an outpatient clinic and it just wasn't sticking she wasn't successful they didn't know what to do with her because she you know just it wasn't clicking for some reason um she couldn't touch her feet which is she lives alone she can't touch her feet so what do you do right if someone can't put compression on uh, you know, where do you go yeah. from there? So they referred her to me. And uh, again, once you walk into someone's home, so I walk into the house and I'm seeing she's an artist. She's got art all over the house. She's a writer. She's got her books all over the house. And that's what she likes to do. Um, and those are her passions. So we talk a lot about how is having your legs better managed going to help you do your art and help you do your writing and help you stay independent because those were her goals. So again, it all comes back to the, those activities. So that kind of got her on board, number one, because before she she didn't see any results, so she didn't think it was worth doing anything about it. You know, people would educate her and instruct her till their faces were blue, but they weren't really getting back to why is it important to her. Right. Um, yeah, that's, that's and, interesting. Yeah, yeah. And um, I use um, motivational interviewing a lot. And I and I, I love that um, kind of framework of having a conversation with per- with a person and you know, we can't want it more than they do. And but finding that reason for that behavior change and, and kind of um, latching on to that and, and saying, Okay, well, you want to stay in your house and you want to do art. Well, let's help your legs. This is one way that you can do that is by getting your legs in a position where they're not so heavy and you can walk up and down your stairs to get your art supplies. So I've been seeing her, um, I I do, um, you know, complete decongestive therapy, which is a pretty intensive, there's two phases to it. The first phase is really intensive where I saw her every single day last week. And I came and I did um, manual lymph drainage. So it's a, it's a, essentially, it's, it's not a massage. It's a manual technique, but people call it a massage. Uh, and it stimulates the lymphatic system. Uh, and then I do skincare. She, when I first saw her, uh, I mean, I mean, and this is only two weeks ago, but she had open sores from lymphorrhea, which was literally her skin was so taut that it was leaking fluid. So I would do skincare, basic wound care, and then um, I would do, I do compression bandaging. So using foam and short stretch bandages and wrapping her legs all the way up with both legs. And then um, 
And then also looking at those other things, she's diabetic and she lives alone. So again, those are things that maybe the clinic space didn't have access or, or couldn't really see. They couldn't see, you know, uh, oh, this is her insulin and this is where she takes her insulin. And, you know, what does that have to do with lymphedema? Well, you know, if she, she can't, you know, her sensation is impaired, if, you know, her, you know, if she's hypoglycemic, she's not thinking clearly, she's not, uh, if she's not eating healthy, you know, she, she could be um, retaining more fluid. So, you know, I, I get to see that other picture. And then I'm also seeing that she has cognition changes, and she also has vision changes. So, you know, I'm writing all these instructions, I got this huge whiteboard and writing every single day, do not take off your bandages, you know, uh, I will be back at 8am, make sure you do, you know, these are the exercises and, you know, just really spelling it out. Um, and reminding her why she's doing it constantly. Uh, and, and that, I mean, it's only been two weeks and she's already, I do measurements but, and, um, and get bought and I can actually see the volume and she's already lost four liters of fluid. Um, which, you know, is a win. I'm Holy excited shit. about that. <laughs> four liters. God, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't even drink four liters in a day. <laughs> I know. So, so that, that, that's good. And, and she finally, you know, we're, we're finding a way we're, you know, of how she can bend and reach. And actually now, because she does have less fluid um, in her legs, she can actually reach her feet so that she can do, she can do her, her, the next phase is the self-maintenance phase, which is where she gets her own compression wraps. And uh, um, she's going to be using some Velcro wraps and, uh, you know, pulling the, the Velcro tabs over and I'm going to be adapting those because she can't see um, and her sensation is impaired. I, I'm going to like bedazzle them and, you know, put little markers on it. So it's a high contrast. Like okay. So, so it's, you know, it's, I it's love a lot you. more involved. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm going to bedazzle it. That's awesome. I mean, cause that's so, that's such an mm-hmm. interesting because mm-hmm. we typically think that that's kind of the nursing you know, mm-hmm. that's sort of a, a something that a nurse would typically take care of, right? And and like you said, they come, home health comes in, but they're only there for so long, and then they leave. Mm-hmm. Besides having more of you around, what's the answer? Because you know that I could I could imagine that unless a nurse really had that kind of education, the whole bedazzling the the wraps wouldn't occur if they weren't looking at that whole picture and I don't know, mm-hmm. you know, if, if that's kind of the education that we're getting versus what occupational therapy is focused mm-hmm. on, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I think you're so right. It, it's, I don't know. It's a, it's, a, it's tough because I think we're all maybe in our uh, trainings we're we're taught to, you know, do the motivational interviewing and look at the, whole person and yada yada but when it comes to the practice when it comes to the practice we're going to start mm-hmm. there can you just say a little bit about motivational interviewing I mean Antra and I were trained in mm-hmm. it you know and I think mm-hmm. but you you mentioned it a couple of times and it seems so mm-hmm. essential to reminding somebody why mm-hmm. they're doing what they're doing and framing what they're doing around that so can you just mm-hmm. say a little bit about that and what you do yeah yeah so um you know what I, I guess what I was kind of thinking of is, is we're so trained in instructing and educating, and that's considered a skilled need. But if we can, um, motivational interviewing is, is really kind of taking a step back 
and taking a non-judgmental approach, a very empathetic approach and asking questions, these open-ended questions, instead of saying, well, you know, uh, you shouldn't really be drinking soda because think about how much sugar that has and da, 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 da. It's like, so taking a step back and asking, why do you like soda? Or tell me, what, what, what else do you like to drink? Uh, what, you know, what about Pepsi makes your life better? And, and, and really digging into this why, 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 so you can understand what is motivating that person to make that behavior and when you can kind of understand that, you might see those little, um, you know, fissures in that, in that behavior where they want to change. Well, I do this because, you know, so, so then you can kind of ask questions of, well, what would life look like if you, if you didn't drink soda anymore? What do you think that would look like? And so asking these broader questions instead of immediately going to, you know, this, uh, uh, I'm educating you, I'm instructing you. Uh, and this is, I know, I, I have an education, so I know more than you. They know they're not yeah. supposed to drink pop, but you know, so why? You are an empty uh, vessel that I'm going to fill you with my benevolence. <laughs> yes, yes. But you know, that's how we get reimbursed is like our skilled need. And, and sometimes I think we forget that asking questions is a skill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So then thank you for doing that. I mean, that's like, mm-hmm. I could throw in a, that in as one of the, the objectives of this, this podcast, because <laughs> it's such an important thing, totally different mm-hmm. to motivate somebody so that they're mm-hmm. self propelling instead of, mm-hmm. you know, that doesn't, that never works. It never works. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and, I, and for, and that can be so helpful. I think for nurses in a hospital, right. Mm-hmm. In the hospital setting, mm-hmm. having that, those conversations around their care, especially if they're, you know, in, in long-term care or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, or acute rehab or whatever. And I don't know if that's something that happens a lot because they're so task oriented and there's, mm-hmm. you know, and we're short staffed and we don't have enough time and all that. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but I think it's, yeah, I do think it's really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think there's actually some research and evidence to show that uh, if you use motivational interview, even though it seems time intensive up, up front, mm-hmm. um, it actually can, can be quicker. It, you know, you can get results quicker because you can kind of really get to the root of why someone is having that behavior much sooner than just uh, assuming that, you know, and assuming they're going to take their medication. Mm-hmm. But if you actually take the time and really it doesn't take that long, but um, what do you think about, you know, taking metformin? How does that, you know, what does that look like? Uh, what is, how does that fit into your daily routine? Um, what do you think do you, life will be like if you take it? You know, things like that. Do you find that when, when you, when you can go and be in that place mm-hmm. and be present and have that kind of non-judgmental mm-hmm. sort of question oriented mm-hmm. framework, do you, do you feel like the, that they feel supported? Like mm-hmm. for me as a patient advocate, I have noticed that really people mm-hmm. behavior change, I think happens when people feel like they have the support. Mm-hmm. And so if you're not coming from a judgmental mm-hmm. place and you're asking questions and it it's supportive, it's, mm-hmm. Oh, it's those fissures kind of open up, right? Mm-hmm. Like you were saying, yeah. and that's just been my experience as a patient advocate, but you know, I think maybe we went over this or glossed over at nursing school years ago, mm-hmm. but I don't remember being that in that kind of framework as a nurse for a very long time. So, 
Mm-hmm. I don't know if I forgot skills. Did I ever get them? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, you're exactly right. All right. Well, thank you for letting me interrupt you to find out more of what you know. And then now <laughs> go back to Andro's asking you, what is it that we do other than having more of you around? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I guess, or maybe that's, that's the answer. You need to just expand. Your business. <laughs> I know. Yeah, right. Hand right, in hand, right? right. Rehab needs to be an empire. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, you know, you said it. I think it's, um, you know, uh, looking at our resources, working as a team, and, and instead of thinking of ourselves as silos, mm-hmm. thinking, oh, you know what? You know who's really good at this is um, I know this wound care nurse. She knows so much about this. Or I know um, a podiatrist. They know everything about feet. And not assuming, and this is take line, I'm still working on it, but. Um, not assuming that you know everything and that we're the best and, you know, I'm going to heal this person and, and knowing what your limits are and, and being okay with asking for help and really bringing in that team approach to help someone. And I think the other thing is looking at someone not just as their diagnosis, but, but again, as, uh, as, as all those intrinsic factors, which is their diagnosis, but also um, you know, their, their cultural background and their spiritual background and their social supports and their environment and, and, you know, all of those things play a role in our health outcomes and, and who we are and, and why we make the choices we do. So taking the time to do that interviewing, asking those questions, and then pooling our resources to help that person. Yeah. You know, it's like, Mm-hmm. finding out what is their definition of success? Like all those things you just mentioned, the culture, yeah. I mean, that woman who was the mm-hmm. artist and whatever, mm-hmm. my definition would be like to get you more mobile so you can be safe. So you can get out of the house because you need, you live alone and you need more friends, you know, mm-hmm. because isolation, well, maybe she's an introverted artist and you know, she really just wants to be able yeah. to go get her art stuff like that. And her definition of success is going to be different than mm. the caregivers, the nurse or the, you know, home mm. health person or that, or the occupational therapist definition of success. And I love what you're saying about really understanding based on their upbringing and their culture and their experience and their history and their passions and whatever, what mm-hmm. is their definition of success? Because it might be much easier to help that person succeed than you think if you're just, they just want to be alone in their house painting. <laughs> Like, totally. And, totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A really good You're point. exactly right. I mean, how many times have, you know, it's like, well, they need to be moving. Well, you know, why, why do they need to be moving or why do they need to do this? They don't, you know, yeah. like the other day I saw someone after a hip fracture and one of the biggest things we do after a hip fracture as an OT is teach, reteach someone how to dress, dress their lower body, especially because they can't reach their feet and their balance is off. And this person had no desire to do that. Her husband has been helping her and her husband was like, no, I'm cool with helping her. I, I, I'm good with doing this for the rest of my life. And she's like, yeah, mm-hmm. it's pretty nice. I'm going to have him help me. <laughs> so uh-huh. I'm like, okay, well. <laughs> it's the glue that holds our relationship together. <laughs> Don't take that from us. <laughs> our bonding time now <laughs> seriously what so I always joke about my husband because like literally him and my son are skiers and I am not a skier but I have become a skier because I don't have to do anything but click into my skis when they get there on the mountain <laughs> all my stuff gets back so I'm like oh so when I'm older and if I ever have a hip fracture so this is perfect <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I've 
really good point. Like, that's a great example of, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't really need to know these protocols because I'm not dressing myself. <laughs> yeah. Nope. Don't need it. <laughs> not a goal. I mean, go get my cigarettes. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, just uncovering that, uncovering that stuff, you can imagine that there's all sorts of stuff like that, right? But mm-hmm. we don't, we don't, we're so task oriented and we're so like, education and you know that Mm we we probably miss that stuff all the time this is maslow's hierarchy of needs (laughs) the bottom you need to be able to dress yourself well no because that (laughs) prevents the relationship communication connection (laughs) it's it's actually critical to that pyramid oh my gosh so nicole what is it about you something what do you think makes you different that you see these gaps and, you know, lots of people go through occupational, their mm-hmm. occupational therapy and, you know, and they mm-hmm. are certified and they see the same things that you do and they just, you know, mm-hmm. cover their eyes and check the boxes and, you know, mm-hmm. okay, so I'm going to see him back again because of that gap. You decided mm-hmm. to go off and start a mm-hmm. business and try to do something about it. What is it that makes mm-hmm. you different, you think? Mm, that's a good question. I always say... <laughs> that it's probably a little bit of impulsivity (laughs) where I'm like, you know what, let's just do it. (laughs) Um, But I don't know. I mean, I guess, um, I I guess in in some ways I'm, I'm not, I'm not afraid. I I think that the benefits outweigh the risk. Um, You know, I was looking at your quote for the renegade podcast, you know, and, and your website. And it's about like, um, abandoning fear and living life. And, you know, and I, I think that's kind of the approach I took to this where, um, you know, I, you know, I, I don't know what else to do. I, I feel like I have, I, I need to do this and I'm, I'm not, I mean, I'm a little bit afraid. I'm a little bit impulsive. Um, but I think that the good is going to outweigh the bad and, and it's going to be a good experience. And I like meeting people. I like, um, I like helping people and that, motivation outweighs, you know, uh, those other, those other things that might hold me back. Where is this? So where do you see hand in hand going then? You know, I know you're in Uh, maybe two years mm -hmm. now. Yeah. Yeah. So, ah, man, that is the, that's a, that's the question. I, I do think I want to grow. I'm, I've hired physical therapists and my approach right now is I think that again, there's just so many different needs Uh, little niches in the community that can be met that I'm really, I'm open to the opportunity and I'd like to grow organically um, instead of just like, I'll take whatever business I can get. And, you know, I want to see which I do. I I would love to see everybody, but I want to kind of, um, kind of uh, talk to those people in the community, those resources. I love what you, like, I just, as you were speaking, I just had this, um, well, you were talking so much on this, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, during this hour mm-hmm. about the team mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and okay, we need a person for that, get that physical therapist, mm-hmm. get the, you know, another mm-hmm. occupational mm-hmm. therapist, get a flower essence therapy fist, you know, yeah. a room therapist. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, like knowing, yeah. Knowing the members of the football team, knowing the members mm-hmm. of the team or who's out yeah. there that you can, you can bring mm-hmm. to pass the ball to. 
Yeah. And realizing that, you know, like we, we are a team, you know, I, I talked to a, um, a nurse practitioner, she's a foot care specialist and, you know, she can't do her job effectively if the lymphedema isn't controlled and I can't do my job effectively if their toenails are a mess, yeah. you know, so realizing that we could really help each other and we don't have to be a silo and, um, so before, so, so you, yeah. are you kind of like coordinating with other businesses or other, like, do you communicate and coordinate with other people before you hire them yeah. yourself? Is that what you're doing? Yeah, that's kind of what I'm doing. And, and, and yeah. And, and looking at different people's passions, you know, if, um, you know, uh, uh, occupational therapist is really passionate about spinal cord injuries. I know that's a need in our community. You know, it's, there's also a gap there of, helping people with spinal cord injuries get back to, uh, you know, their everyday activities after rehab. So, um, I mean, you know, no, what it is, what it is, there's, there's a place there. There's a need. You talked about obviously occupational therapy. You've talked about mm-hmm. team building. You've talked about lymphedema. You've talked about addressing needs. You've talked about motivational interviewing. You've talked about starting mm-hmm. your own business if somebody's listening to this and is like any one of those things or all those things, or maybe they're an occupational therapist or physical mm-hmm. therapist or in the mm-hmm. hospital and um, just want to have a conversation with you about first steps, are you open to people reaching out to you? And if so, how do they do that? Totally. Totally. Yeah. Um, I have a website that people can check out, um, see what I'm doing. Um, they can email me. What's the um, website? It's hand in hand rehab.com. Uh, so hand and hand rehab. Any underscores or special things, or it's just like H A N D A N D H A N D rehab. Yeah. Um, and um, I, I mean, I can give my phone, my business phone number is 971 oh, Wait, go ahead. 971-2085881. Yeah. Okay. Give us that number one more time, Nicole. Sure. 971-208-5881. Okay. Hand in hand. Hope rehab. So oh, I think I missed that part. Yeah. Hand we'll put it in the hand, show notes. Home rehab. Home rehab. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Hand in hand, home, home rehab. Rehab. <laughs> rehab. Rehab. <laughs> Not with a P. All right. Thank you so much. That I, it was, it was, a, I, um, I'm always excited to talk to people like you. I mean, I'm sure talked about, we talked about you behind your back a bit, you know, before, uh, while we were planning this, but I think it's so cool what you're doing and, you know, spitting yourself out of the system and doing it differently and blazing the trail sister, you know, cause until things on the inside start getting a little better, it's going to take people like you and like what we do with patient advocacy, mm-hmm. this grassroots. All right. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing it your way anymore because that doesn't work. <laughs> I'm going to do it my mm-hmm. way. And still, I love what you've also done because you've found your way to still work. You're not beholden to the system, but you still work with it. Yeah, you know? within it. Yeah. yeah. So thank you for the inspiration and the information and the education on occupational therapy. I learned more than I have ever known in my 25 plus years of nursing. Yeah. <laughs> Of course, yeah, of course. and I love your, I love your, I love your approach. I love your find out what that you know, look at the person globally and find mm-hmm. out what will make their lives better, what not what you think mm-hmm. will make their lives better. Yeah. So, yeah. thanks so much. You guys, that's a wrap. What a great podcast! 
If you're a nurse, head over to www.rnegade.pro. Follow the prompts, do the activity, fill out the evaluation for the podcast that you just listened to and get a CE. Could we just make CE by podcast the norm? Please. Bye.